Dodds fans, Jonathan Walsh here, and welcome once again to another episode of Don the Stat. We've crawled our way through the preseason. It's been one of significant change for our footy club. Finally, we're back to the bit that I really love, and we get to talk about the real stuff. We're back for our first game preview of 2023, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Hume. Humey, how's things, mate? Hi, Jono. Well, it's been a roller coaster of emotions today with all the news coming out of the club. Having processed it all, I'm still quite excited to see things turn out on Sunday. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good, mate. I, I must apologise. I'm a bit more wheezy and nasally than than normal. Uh, I have had a little bit of a cold this week, but I'm on the mend and uh, and looking forward to being fit for round one and, and getting to the G on Sunday. Uh, yeah, there's never a dull moment following Essendon, is there? And, and we experienced a lot of that today, but look, hopefully that's all forgotten come the first bounce on Sunday and we can just sit back and Enjoy cheering on our boys once again. Absolutely. Uh, before we get into tonight's show, a few thank yous and shout outs. Firstly, uh, thanks again to Anthony Prochillo for coming on the show for bonus episode seven. Again, had a really great response and his insights and ideas heading into season 2023 are things I'm going to be keeping in mind. Uh, also want to give a shout out to our new patrons, uh, Daryl Morgan, Tony Aisbert, Sean Dalton, Ben Freeman, Lachlan Brown. And Matthew Brown, I don't think there's any relationship between the last two. Uh, also, thanks to John V and Dean Obama for their great reviews on Apple. And finally, as we're coming around to the first game of the season, I just want to acknowledge that it's been a full year of Don the Stat. We started on the 15th of March last year before the Geelong game. And as I said on Twitter early in the week, I really want to thank you, Jono, for inviting me to share in this great project we've built. And to all our listeners and those who interacted with us on the socials, it's been a really great community that's built up and it's made supporting the Bombers all the richer. Yeah, it's gone quick, hasn't it? It's It's been pretty incredible. We've had to pinch ourselves a lot through this. Um, it's a word I don't like, but journey. And at times it's felt like a really long one and, and another time. But for the most part, it's been a lot of fun and, and definitely, you know, working alongside you and, and getting to spend a lot more time with you and talking about footy, which we both obviously love and, and in particular the club that we love has been great. And yeah, the surprise that came out of all of this was getting to connect with so many passionate and loyal Essendon fans and, and talk to Talk and engage with them in the same way that we like to uh, uh, has been, yeah, really rich and, and rewarding. And, um, yeah, I, I feel the better for it. So, yeah, thanks to everyone who's been part of it. And, yeah, let's hope we can keep going bigger and better. Yeah. I'll let Journey slip, but if you'd brought out learnings, we might have had to end the podcast right there. No, right. Touche. Well said. That's all right. Well, look, let's get stuck into the episode and we'll start with the news. And, obviously, today there's been quite a bit of news and the day started with the great news that Peter Wright, our Crichton medalist from last year, had re-signed for four years before we got the sad news that he'd gone down at training with what we now know is a dislocated shoulder. Although we don't know the extent of the damage, it has meant he's out for round one. We also had some quotation marks reporting that caused a stir amongst Essendon fans. Jono, how did you see the day? Yeah, geez, uh, what a whirlwind of a day it was. Uh, on one hand, we've got the AFL's chief reporter, again, another term that probably belongs in quotation marks, using the platform of you know, the AFL website to tell the very few people, I think, that take any real notice of what he says, that we're a club in turmoil because we had a guy removed from a role that you know really shouldn't have been in in the first place. And you know, meanwhile, our best and fairest winner from last year, as you mentioned, has recommitted himself for another four seasons and 
you know, he hasn't waited. He hasn't delayed. He he hasn't done what we see other players do and and wait till the end of the season or or see how things play out. So if we were a club in turmoil or a club in crisis or there are all these things going on, I, I don't think Peter Wright's committing himself for for four years before you know the bounce of round one of the season. I think what we can take from it is that you know clearly there's still some things that our new CEO Craig Vozzo needs to sort out and and I'm sure he'll do that but I think it's a great endorsement that one of our most important players is you know buying into the change that's happened and and into the direction of the club and and he's on board and I think we can uh we can put a line through most of the things that Damien Barrett says uh, along with a few others and um and yeah I think Peter Wright's words and commitment uh speak a lot more than than any of those guys can possibly say on our club. Uh, then, you know, obviously there was the news of his injury, which came only a couple of hours later. And I've gone, uh, you know, sort of done a complete 360 on this one. Obviously, at the start, I was really disappointed, as I suspect everyone was. But then I talked myself into the positive side of things and what it means for the likes of Harry Jones and Sam Wiedemann. And, you know, at some point, Patrick Voss is going to get an opportunity and we get to get games into them and, and, and probably fast track their development to an extent. And, you know, look, that's, that's still true. But I think where I have landed in the end is that Peter Wright himself has still only played the 109 games and for a big key forward, that's still, you know, he's, he's not yet probably at the peak of his powers. So, uh, you know, I think this unfortunately will slow down his development and his improvement as well, not to mention, you know, the ongoing connection and how important he is to playing with our other forwards, our, our new small forwards that are coming into the team and, and that connection with our midfielders, which, let's face it, hasn't been good um, despite his his efforts last season. So, yeah, I think it hurts on, on a number of levels and, and let's just hope that he's, you know, it's not a real long-term injury and he comes back back fit and strong and, and confident. I guess that's the other thing, you know, a, a shoulder injury for a big key forward who, you know, guy who relies on getting his arms over his head and, and outreaching his opponents is obviously pretty important. So yeah, let's hope his recovery is a fast one and, and he comes back, you know, at some point in the not too distant future and can still have an impact on 2023. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the things that, has made me feel a little bit better, although I, I do want to see him out there and, and performing, is that he's generally at the end of the chain. I know he does get up the ground and provides a good outlet, but, you know, your full forward is the last piece of the puzzle in moving the ball forward and in the defensive aspects. So we can... St- his loss, whilst big, doesn't mean the team can't still improve. It can't, doesn't mean the team can't still improve its defensive structures, can't improve its ball movement towards that. And then... Hopefully, when Peter Wright does come back, if it's short-term or, or long-term, the team's in a better spot where they can make better use of him and his skills. So, that's sort of where I've come down there. Um, there's an urban legend that the Chinese have the same word for crisis and opportunity, uh, famously said by Homer, crisis-unity. I think any situation like this, it's a crisis-unity. Yes, it's a, it's pretty bad that Peter Wright went down, but as you said, it's a real big opportunity for Harry Jones and Sam Wiedemann in particular. And we saw, for example, in 2021, when Dylan Shield went down, the opportunity that gave Darcy Parrish and his ability, his ability to grow into the player we knew he could be was accelerated there. So hopefully we see something similar for those players we mentioned there. Yeah, it's a good point, mate. And full kudos for getting a Simpsons reference in there. That was good. That's all right. Maybe I'll set a goal to get one in each uh, preview this season. We'll see how we go. 
Well, look, let's move on. We'll start talking about Hawthorne. And what we tend to do in these preview shows is to start going back over our memories. And it is the Hawks 1983 Premiership 40th year celebration. So, uh, obviously, it's not really a, a good memory for Essendon fans, but neither of us were really around for that game. So, I asked on Twitter for Don's fans' recollections, especially as was Essendon's first grand final appearance in 15 years at that point. I think the overarching theme for those who replied that was a difficult experience losing by that much, but most were buoyant overall about a very good season and, and moving forward from there. Uh, Rick Edwards and Quick Sprint both brought up Watson being taken out early by Robertson as being a big factor in in how the game progressed. Uh, but my favourite story that came out of uh, that Twitter thread was from Drover's Dog, who set up red and black streamers with his work colleagues at his office before the final and came back the next Monday to find his Hawthorne supporting boss had pulled down all the red streamers, leaving only the black ones, which I imagine would have been a reflective of a lot of Bomber fans' moods after the Saturday. Yeah, I, I certainly don't re- remember that one, but um, yeah, the, there's so many great memories over the years, and, and of course we play for the Jonathan Robin Cup this week. But yeah, I think for for most most on fans of my era growing up w- was watching replays of the '84 and '85 Grand Final, and and they'll be forever etched into you know our, our memory bank. There was a time where I reckon I could recount the commentary of the last quarter of the 1984 grand final almost verbatim uh, you know I used to run around my backyard sort of commentating it and, and you know reenacting play by play so that won't be forgotten in a hurry there's one game that that doesn't get bought up for obvious reasons uh but I was thinking about it today and uh it was a loss that happened late in 1992 against the Hawks at the G and at the time, or leading into the game, it was, a, it was a top six at the time, and and Hawthorne was seventh. We were eighth on the ladder, and, and both sort of within touching point of the of the final six, with I think four or five games to go in the season, and the Hawks smacked us by 160 points, which at the time was a record winning margin for them. Not obviously too memorable for us, but probably the most notable thing that happened in that game was it was David Calthorpe's first game. The other thing that it did, though, was that loss really put any chance of finals out the window and it it put Sheedy in full kind of re, rebuild, play the kids mode. So the next week, James Hurd came into the side for game number two and Mark McCurry for game number three. Hills and Wanganeen were already in the side. They played about 30 games each at that stage, but you know, both still only 19 years of age. It was two weeks. I think we had a bye. And then the week after that, Joe Mercedes made his debut so yeah it really was the catalyst that loss really was the catalyst of getting some games into kids and and what ultimately formed the nucleus of that premiership winning baby bombers a year later so i think we can probably thank the hawks for that one without that that big beat up we you know we might not have gone down that avenue and and, and maybe approach things a little bit differently so uh yeah some good to to happen out of that big loss the other thing i found interesting this week mate was uh sam mitchell's comments in his presser early in the week where he mentioned that he wasn't sure whether he was going to talk up the rivalry to his players. He, he mentioned that there was a bit of nervous, nervousness around the group, just being round one, some young guys, you know, some debutants, some first gamers for the club. Uh, I wonder whether that's him sensing nervousness around his players or whether maybe that's a little bit of nervousness of of him coming into, you know, a big game round one against Essendon. 1983 Premiership heroes are going to be there. Just wonder whether maybe the coach is a little bit nervous, but it, it just struck, struck me as something that was a, a little bit strange to say. Well, there's a there's a lot riding on Sam Mitchell in terms of how the Hawks go over this year and, and the next year. He's obviously made a big decision to cut the list really deep, uh, 
in the hope of being able to generate a young group that comes through together and then is successful in the future. Now, teams and coaches that do that, you know, a team may end up being successful from that, but more often than not, the coach that does that cull is not the one that reaps the rewards from that. So it's a big risk for him to do that. I think it is a bold decision and generally you want to be making bold decisions as a football club. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but hopefully for our sakes, it doesn't lead to them winning on Sunday. I do know that we the two games that we focused on were both big losses to Essendon. Hopefully that's not any sort of sign of what's to come on Sunday there. Yeah, no, uh, <laughs> it's a good point. Um, should we just rattle off the 84 and 85 grand final a few more times? Maybe we can um, get some commentary as the exit of, of the show or something just to make sure we end on a, on a real positive note and, and talk about some wins because there have been some really good ones. You know, we beat them in a prelim in, in 2001 as well. And, of course, we won the line line in the sand game that Hawthorne fans like to forget. They, they talk about the fight, but they forget that we, you know, we kicked the next eight or nine goals and, and won the game, not to mention, you know, more recent times we we beat them last year so yeah pl- plenty of successful games to talk about too absolutely well look let's go back and look at what Hawthorne did in 2022 obviously there's been some off-season changes and, and they've changed some of their approach in certain ways but it gives us a good understanding of where they're coming from and gives us some insight into how they may go about playing this year So they finished 13th, so ahead of Essendon with eight wins, 14 losses, and a percentage of 89.8. Now, they had really good wins over Geelong and Brisbane in the first half of the year. Uh, If you go and look at those games in particular, it seems from the stats that the win against Geelong came down to them making the most of their opportunities in the forward line as opposed to the Cats and matching for contested, uh, contested possession and clearance. Whilst against Brisbane, again, it was inside 50 efficiency that allowed them to win by a goal. So if they could match sides, it came down to their ability to score inside 50. But more often than not, they were finding themselves playing from the back foot a lot. They conceded the third most inside 50s last year. A lot of that came down to their centre clearance ability. Their differential of minus four was the worst in the competition last year. Um, their practice match opponent actually in Collingwood was the second worst. Uh, they weren't much better at stoppage where they were third worst in the competition at minus 2.7. Again, Collingwood was the second worst in that scenario. I bring this up because it does provide some context to the stats from the practice match. Obviously, I think Collingwood's gone out and tried to strengthen their clearance ability by getting Tom Mitchell from, from Hawthorne. But the style of play, the, the, the team that they've come up against in Collingwood doesn't really challenge their deficiencies as much as other teams might. Again, this is, again, reflected in the contested possession differential from last year, where they were down nine on their opponents, which was the fourth worst in the competition. Yeah, and ordinarily we would look at this and, and expect that this might give us an area of advantage, right? And and give us some confidence going into the game, given that we do enter it with a, a you know, a bigger and more experienced midfield, which isn't something that we can say all that often in, in 2023, right? But given what we saw against St Kilda, where we, we lost contested ball by 30, it's hard to take a lot of confidence, but I, you know, I still think that until proven otherwise, I'm going to, treat that result as a bit of an aberration, you know, respect the fact that, you know, Parrish was was still getting back to some match fitness and some touch and we're trying a couple of things, as we noted in our, our match uh, review of, of that game. So I, I still think that's an area of the game we should expect to walk away from 
um, being able to to get some ascendancy and 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 allowing that to have an influence on the result of the game in, in the positive for us. Yeah. And it sort of leads into my next point, which is one of the strengths of Hawthorne, which has been their tackle numbers. So they were tackling at a rate of 59 per game, which was the sixth best in the competition, which is quite good. However, when you looked at how many tackles their opponents were having, they were having 67 a game, meaning they were out tackled by eight per game. Again, for me, this lines up with their clearance and contested possession stats. They were good at creating contested situations, but were losing them more often than not. They really lacked that breakaway midfielder they could they could break tackles and and get clearances and that meant that they were getting tackled quite a lot uh where they would were good last year was through intercept which is where they would rely on to win games where they lost the contest they had the fourth highest intercept total of 72 per game only behind richmond melbourne and collingwood they give up a higher amount of intercepts as well and only gold coast gave up more so overall games involving the hawks see the highest amount of intercepts meaning there's opportunities to win the ball back against them yeah, I think what it talks to is is the lack of some players who can really accelerate from the contest. You, you know, think for us, we don't have a lot of them either, but Dylan Shields is a good example of someone who can win the ball in close and then accelerate away. Mason Redmond can do it at, at halfback. McGrath has some ability to do it as well. They Where they do have speed is, is right on the outside, which is why they, and, and we'll talk about it shortly, but it, it's why they rely on that intercepting style of play to really set up their game. But yeah, let, let's quickly talk list changes. A, a lot of our change last year happened off the field, and but our list is relatively stable in terms of those that played a lot of games last year are still on the list this year. What have Hawthorne done? So as we hinted at earlier, Hawthorne have made a large amount of list changes. Uh, if you go back to the stat I talked about last week during the season preview about this continuity between 2022 and 2023. Uh, only Fremantle have lost a greater amount of playing minutes uh, from their 2022 side into their 2023 side than Hawthorne have. So they've lost over 20% of their playing minutes in terms of players from the previous year. So if you think about their key exits, they have McAvoy who retired. They had Shields who retired before being rookied by North, going back to his old coach, Alistair Clarkson. Uh, Tom Mitchell was traded to Collingwood. O'Meara was traded to Fremantle. And then Gunston was a free agent to Brisbane. So those names, those are pretty high profile names for Hawthorne sides of the past few years. If you, if you were to, na- if you asked the man on the street to name a few Hawthorne players that were currently playing, those would be some of the names that would come up. Now, they have got some ins. Uh, the big ones in terms of trades and, and free agents are Carl Amon from Port Adelaide and Lloyd Meek from Fremantle. So if you go and look at their specific outs in terms of how it affects their stats, Roy talked about how Hawthorne really struggled in the clearances based on last year. Uh, and they've gone and lost their top two possession clearance and contested possession winners in Mitchell and O'Meara. And then if you look at their ability to score, they've lost their second highest average goal kicker in Gunston. So if they take out all those players, they obviously are looking at other players to fill those roles. And it'll be interesting to see how they go in those roles. Um, but yeah, they've also selected some new players for their side going into Sunday's game. Yeah, so the four guys they've picked who are playing their first game for Hawthorne, Carl Amon's the, the one that they've brought in that's got real experience coming across from Port Adelaide, but he he won't necessarily help them with that inside contested ball part of their game. Uh, he's he's very much a damaging player on the outside. 
And what he did really well in that practice game against Collingwood was he did get back into defensive 50 to really help out and, and help them exit the ball. And, and he linked up really well with their halfbacks uh, and and then also looked really dangerous, um, uh, you know, bringing the ball inside 50. So he's definitely a player that we're going to need to watch. He's, he's played good footy against us before. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that he was considered a, an All-Australian quality wingman. So he, he's a, yeah, he's a quality footballer. Uh, Fergus Green's a, a medium-sized forward who played five games for the Bulldogs back in 2018, and, and he was added to the Hawks this year as a delisted free agent. Um, he was the leading goal kicker in their VFL side at Box Hill last year. He's sort of only that 186, 187-mid-sized forward, but he's really athletic. He's really good overhead. So he's one of those ones that plays a bit taller than than he is, you know, sort of think um, uh, you know, a, a more athletic, a more dynamic sort of Langford style, I guess, for, yeah, an Essendon comparison. Um, so, yeah, he'll, he'll add some real spark and energy to their forward line. Lord Meek, Lloyd Meek, I should say, sorry, uh, originally drafted to Frio back in 2017. So he's been on their list for a number of years and, and came across to Hawthorne. Uh, this year. He's only played the 15 games, but he's 24, 25 years of age. So he's a, a big senior body, ruck forward, um, covers the ground pretty well. Uh, so I think he's a he's a good addition to to given the profile of their list. He, he gives them a ruckman that they can sort of bring through the, with these young midfielders. And then Cam McKenzie, they picked for his debut game. He was their first pick in the draft last year, a pick seven overall. I like watching this guy play because he just reminds me of of a of a natural footballer. He's composed, he's calm. Things kind of slow down a little bit around him. He doesn't panic. He's really clean. Uh, you know, he can also play across half forward or half back if if need be. Uh, but he's just a, a really neat footballer, sort of in the um, uh, you know, a, I think a, a young Dyson Heppel maybe. Um, probably not the best example, but. If we remember back how Dyson really impressed us in his first year, just at his, at his ability to sort of be calm under pressure, Cam McKenzie's got those that sort of attribute, and I think that's the bit that really stands out for me when I watch him. Yeah. Just before we move on, the, those players that they got in that played in the AFL last season, so against Essendon, uh, when they played Port Adelaide, uh, Amon had 25 and 19 disposals in, the, in those two games. And Lloyd Meek didn't play in Fremantle's victory over Essendon. So, as you said, Amon's got a history of good performances against Essendon. And then, obviously, Meek's still pretty new and developing as, as a footballer. So, interesting to see how that plays out. Let's just remind ourselves of what happened last time Essendon played Hawthorne. So, round eight, 2022, Essendon 16-12-108, defeated Hawthorne 11 15 uh, It was the game where Essendon had five late changes and came down from 25 points uh, early in the third quarter. They kicked eight goals in the final quarter to win their second game of the year by 27 points. Uh, standout players for Essendon were Peter Wright with six goals, obviously going to be a big loss this week. Uh, Martin with 22 and two goals. Uh, Parrish, 32 and a goal. Merritt, 28 and a goal. And Redmond with 27 disposals. For the Hawks, the standout was Newcomb with 28 disposals. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion at the end of that game, wasn't it? I think we all... You know, we heard about the changes that was, you know, illness that was around the club. And I think we all resigned ourselves to the fact that there was going to be another big loss and, and you know, more more so when we got to halftime and, and we didn't really look like it. Uh, so, yeah, there was a, a big outpouring of emotion at the end of the game to get one over the old foe. So, uh, yeah, let, let's hope we don't get ourselves into that position 
this week and um, and we can make a better fist of it early. But, yeah, let, let's get back to 2023, mate. We had a, a quick chat about the new players that have been picked for Hawthorne. What does our side look like for round one? Yeah, so for the, this, because it's the first game of the season, we'll go through the entirety of the, the side tonight. Um, after this week, we'll just go through the changes. We really want to focus on on the tactics going forward. So for us in the name side, is as follows, and I think it's important for all of us to remember that the name side doesn't mean how they're actually going to line up on the day. I think it's a bit of it's a bit of all over the shop sometimes, and it's not reflective of how the game's actually going to go, and maybe a bit of mind games uh, towards the other club there. But in terms of how they're named on the Essendon site, uh, backs we have Redman, Ridley, Kelly, BZT, Laverty, and McGrath. Mids, Draper, Merritt, Setterfield, Parrish, Scheel, and Heppel. Forwards, Durham, Wiedemann, Langford, Davey, Jones, and Perkins. Uh, the subs, Caldwell, Menzi, Phillips, and Martin. Uh, interchange, sorry. And emergency, where the sub will come from, uh, Anthony McDonald, Tim Woody, D'Ambrosio, Snelling, and Baldwin. So I think the first point there is once Peter Wright went down with injury, I felt Phillips was certain to play. Uh, we've seen from the practice games that they really want to have those tall forwards in the forward line as much as possible. They were running Wiedemann as a second ruck in those practice games. And so continuing to do so whilst not selecting Phillips would mean that we only have one target in Jones down there a lot of the time. Uh, we've seen in the past that Phillips is a really good second ruck and can be a marking target forward. So I'm the belief that it's the right move for him. And just uh, as an aside, congratulations to Andrew Phillips on the birth of his child, this week, uh, I'm sure he's had a few sleepless nights uh, leading up to the game and hopefully he'll be able to put in a performance for his newborn. Yeah, and look, I, I think you're right. Once Peter Wright went down, it it, it made sense that we we picked that extra Ruckman. Hawthorne have also selected two Ruckman and, and that was, you know, pretty clear from the way that they played throughout the preseason, but even from, you know, the the extended squad that they picked in, in Meek and, and Reeves. So, I think you're right. Running two rucks versus two rucks does make sense and allows us to keep those two tall forwards um, up there at, at any point in time. Yeah. And I think the probably the standout absence for me is D'Ambrosio. Uh, I expect he'll be the sub based on the named emergencies, but I'm surprised he's not in the starting lineup. Uh, what do you think the thinking behind that is? And it seems to leave us short a seventh defender. Who do you expect to play that role? Yeah, I'm surprised D'Ambrosio wasn't there. He he played both those practice games and appeared to be preferred ahead of Hind and then, you know, no Hind either. I, I would have thought that given they had so much attacking flair off halfback, D'Ambrosio through foot skills, Hind through pace, I, I would have expected one of them to be there. Langford has been training at halfback, so I assume that will make him the, the seventh defender. He played there in the, practice, the VFL practice match. Uh, it's not necessarily my choice. I, I, I wouldn't go that way. And and maybe Wright going down has maybe changed some of those plans as well. Uh, but, yeah, I think we'll elaborate that on that a little bit later. Um, and then, yeah, I think what we should make mention of is that Wiedemann and Setterfield are in for their first games of the club, both, you know, come in to play really important roles and, and strengthen up areas we're deficient in. And then the most exciting one, of course, is is Alan Davy Jr. in for his debut, and and geez, could Alan Senior have been any less excited in the in the video? I I, I suspect that might have been the second or third cut of it, and, and they just couldn't get Froggy up and about. But um, yeah, geez, I I'd be pretty flat if I got picked for my first AFL game and my old man gave that kind of reaction. 
Oh, I think he's just wait. I think he's just keeping um, expectations down, so we he's not uh, bursting at the seams before the game and, and burns all his mental energy there. So, yeah, look, let's start looking at Hawthorne in more depth, and we're going to start with their practice match result where they played up against Collingwood. Now, I mentioned earlier um, that it was an interesting matchup based on their 2022 stats because you have two sides that are that were allergic to clearances in 2022 and were reliant on winning the ball back through intercepts. Um, it seems to me, based on watching parts of that game and what that the Hawks are seemingly happy to concede the centre of the ground and back their strong half-back line to win the ball back and propel them forward through aggressive ball movement. I think the stats that really stood out uh, Hawthorne were minus nine in centre clearances, so a game that sort of mirrors what they were doing in 2022, although they were up plus three in stoppage clearances. Although, again, as we said earlier, Collingwood historically from last year aren't a strong stoppage clearance side either. They were up 10 in contested possessions, which was a weakness for them the previous year. They were plus 17 in marks, although all that generated for them was one extra inside 50. And they were also down 22 tackles there, so quite low down, although they did win the inside 50 tackles there. Uh, Clearly, the absence of um, in the middle of O'Meara and Mitchell has been filled internally through the return of Warple to prominence. He had a high-quality 2019, but seemed to be pushed out of the first rank of midfield rotation since that year. So if you look at what he did during the practice game, he had nine clearances. Uh, four of those were centre, and 17 of his 31 disposals were contested. So he really has stepped up and filled that role uh, that O'Meara and Mitchell will play based on the practice matches. Uh, the other people they rolled through the centre square were Newcomb, McKenzie, Will Day, and along with Warple, that seemed to be their preferred rotation through the middle. Um, But those first three players only got five centre clearances between them for the entirety of the game. And then, as I said, the halfback line seems to be the strongest point. Uh, So if you look at their key intercepts, interceptors, Sicily, Jath and Frost all got uh, five intercept possessions each. And you did mention when we were talking about Hawthorne's new players that Amon was working really hard to get back and he led the way for them with eight of those intercept possessions. Yeah, what really stood out to me watching this match, and I, I very much watched it through a Hawthorne lens rather than a Collingwood one for obvious reasons, was just how aggressive the Hawks were with the ball in hand, particularly on on turnover. When they were able to win the ball back from Collingwood, they, they really did try and punish them going the other way. They were really good at getting numbers back behind the ball and, and manufacturing out numbers at the, the aerial contest rather than the, the contest around the ground. So the likes of Amon and, and Day, as you mentioned, got back from the midfield and and had you know in Naimon's case had a team high in intercept possessions. But it wasn't just him either. You know, Husswait, who is you know not picked for round one, but a a young midfielder from the, the recent draft, Warpool, Bramble, you know, they got involved and got back there, as did, you know, Impey as one of their smaller halfbacks. Like, everybody sort of gets involved and has a role to play in that intercepting play. It's not just you know, Sicily and, and Jath and, and Frost as sort of the the taller defenders back there. Um, but but what it does mean, it, it, getting their midfielders back and their, their halfbacks back, is it does allow Sicily and Jack in particular to create outnumbers at that aerial contest and, and get up in the air two-on-one and, and intercept mark. So their, their whole game is really set up to be able to win the ball back from the opposition in, in their back half through that intercepts rather than, than tackles or pressure. You mentioned that they were pretty good at, at tackling last year, and, and they were, but... Uh, you know, and, and it's dangerous to take too much from just the one game. But 
they only had the 35 tackles for the game and, and only the nine tackles inside 50. You know, that that's SNV Swans' first time last year, you know, type of tackling performance, which you would normally associate with a lack of work rate and a lack of effort. But it, it wasn't that. Their midfielders worked really hard, but they worked really hard to set up behind the ball and almost invited, you know, Collingwood to take – uh, you know, take the ball forward so they could then rely on their outnumbers to intercept and, and get the ball going their way. What's really unique in in modern footy in a game that is, uh, you know, has become more and more about territory and and pressure and locking the ball in your forward line is there's elements that remind me of Essendon under Matthew Knights in that speed at which they look to, to move the ball from half back. And they've got some really good users through, you know, across half back. Sicily can really hurt you by foot. Will Day looks like he's going to be spending more and more time in, in the midfield, but whether he's there or, or rotating through the half back line, he's just a beautiful user of the ball. Amon, as I mentioned, uses it really well. And, and you know, he's shown that he's, he's going to get back and help in the back line. And then they've got that really explosive speed of Jaff and, and Impey who can really break the lines. Um, I put together a couple of video examples from that game for our Patreon subscribers, but I do suspect that, you know, from a neutral perspective, Hawthorne are going to be pretty interesting and quite fun at times to watch this year because I think regardless of, of where they are on the field in terms of territory, they're going to be prepared to take the game on. They're going to be prepared to keep the ball alive. They'll be prepared to kick the balls to dangerous parts of the ground. It's almost like Sam Mitchell's told them, I don't really care if you make mistakes. We'll get better and better at this, but I really encourage you to to take the game on. And, you know, even when they turn it over, they don't go back into the shells. They just set up again, try and win it back, and then they'll go again. And if they turn it over again, they'll try and do the same thing until they can. Um, it's almost like a game of pinball. It's really interesting to watch the ball. You know, it, it, it bounces back back and forth so often. But, yeah, they they really do just back themselves at some point to, to break the damn walls and get the ball forward and, and create scoring shots. So, yeah, this is almost the ideal test for our new forward half gain territory, lock it in sort of game plan and get repeat entries because, like I mentioned, Hawthorne will almost go the opposite and invite the ball back into their own half and back themselves to then counter-attack. It's almost like, for those that are familiar and watch, you know, uh, European or in particular English football, those teams lower down on the ladder that are playing against top teams the way they they really do give up possession, give up territory in the hope that they can get one or two opportunities during the game to counterattack. Hawthorne are a little bit like that, albeit they're trying to create, you know, 20, 30 or more opportunities to score. So, um, yeah, polar opposites about how these two teams have gone about a change in their game style over the preseason. So it'd be really interesting to see how it plays out, not just this week, but also throughout 2023. Yeah. So what do you think Essendon needs to do then in order to successfully win the game? Obviously, as you stated, so much of Hawthorne's game is built around their back line. And for us, it's it's seemingly about the forward half. So why don't we start there? Yeah, tactically, again, and for those that are new to the show and, and haven't heard us do one of these game previews before, we, we treat this very much as, as if Ian and I, heaven forbid, we're we're in charge um, on game day and, and we're coaching the team. So so this isn't predictions. This is us, you, you know, going through things and and trying to break down how the opposition play and what we would look to do 
um, you know, granted we're, we're not privy to all the information, obviously that, that the coaches are, but, um, but yeah, just some context behind that, that, that's our approach. So that, yeah, very much not a predict prediction, more so what we would like to see happen. Um, so yeah, the, the two things that, that I would do tactically first, both uh, surround the respective captains who are both in their first official match as captain of their club. So it's obviously a big moment for, for both of them. We'll start with Hawthorne. So Sicily was probably the unluckiest player, I think, not to make the All-Australian team last year. He He's a tremendous reader of the play. He plays with you know, really high energy and, and he distributes the ball really, really well. I think now with the introduction of Amon to join the likes of Impey and Day, he's got some real weapons around him as well to distribute to. And, and he's now, so he's now got options and, and more than he had throughout the course of last year. So I think we need to, to start there because if we can reduce his impact on the game, then we, you know, it leaves a lot of work for Jeff to then have to do as that intercepting marker. Um, when, when you and I talked about this earlier in the week, I, I mentioned to you how, you know, uh, how difficult I think it is to manufacture defensive matchups in your forward line. I think often we just go defensive forward, send this guy to that guy um, and it'll all play out. But I don't think it's as easy as that. It's not like in the midfield where you can just have a guy follow another because a defender is going to try and manufacture the matchup that they want. And what you can't afford to have happen against Hawthorne is a two on one. So, um, uh, and, and I think it gets harder again when it comes to tall. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's quite that simple. And obviously, at the time when we were talking about it earlier in the week, I, I mentioned to you that we can rule out one matchup for um, for Sicily, and that's Peter Wright. He, he obviously wasn't going to go there. And now, and the key was that whoever got that matchup needs to keep that player, keep Sicily away from Peter Wright. With with Wright not being there, that that all changes. So. Last year, Aaron Francis, who isn't on the list anymore, actually did a really good job of of keeping Sicily away from Wright and and then getting himself into a into a dangerous position. So, Aaron Francis, for all of his faults, well, some of his faults, I should say, uh, what he was was a really smart footballer. He read the game really well, and what he was able to do in that game was to read the play and know when Sicily was either going to stay with him or drop off. And and he used himself as a decoy to create space for Peter Wright when he needed to. Or if he sensed that Wright, uh, sorry, Sicily was going to drop off and try and get in front of Wright, then he put himself in a dangerous position. And and what happened in the end was Wright kicked six, Francis kicked two, Baldwin played forward and kicked a goal as well. So it, it, it did really function well. We fast forward to this year, Jones and Wiedemann, playing their first game together with and without Peter Wright, it's a big ask for them to take the responsibility to to look after, you know, the opposition captain, probably their most dangerous player, their most important player at the very least, and say how they play James Sicily is going to decide whether we win or lose the game. I don't think the answer here is the second ruck and and just playing Wright or Draper forward because then they're not going to have the the forward craft or the smarts to draw Sicily. He'll sit off them. Yeah, you know, Ruckman tend to just like to get deep and and demand the long ball. If they do that, it, it it's exactly what Sicily will be hoping for. I know he played at halfback in the VFL on the weekend. I know he's been training there, but if I was you know the coach of the side and, and in control of the magnets on Sunday, I'm playing Langford as that third tall forward which in this case would, to answer your earlier question, make Heppel our seventh defender rotating between wing and half back. 
I'm anticipating that Jones and Wiedemann will draw Blank and Frost to them. They're two biggest defenders, and that would make sense, which would then mean that that Langford likely draws Sicily. What Kyle Langford does have is that those real smarts that Francis was able to deploy last year. He, he's, he'll be really effective at creating space for our two key forwards and ensure that they have as many one-on-ones as possible. And then he'll also know when to get dangerous and when he can exploit Sicily himself and, and, and you know, get get marks inside 50. So, yeah, that's that's my plan, mate, is to play Langford forward in the anticipation that he draws Sicily and we can use Langford's footy smarts to get into dangerous positions. But beyond all of that, we need to do two things, and that's we need to isolate our forwards to create one-on-ones or we need to go the other way and to create big contests and rely on our smalls to then get dangerous and, you know, crumb and score or at the very least lock the ball in. What we can't allow them is to have a loose in the air. So at, at as frequently as possible, wherever we can, we need to make sure that we're not giving Sicily and Jath a an outnumber and an, and the ability to to jump in the air unmanned. Yeah, it'll be hard to get much uh, clean shots of goal if we're allowing that. Now, you mentioned both captains. What are you thinking in regards to Zach Merritt? Yeah, we did a show, I think it was the first week of Feb from memory, a, a few weeks ago now, where we picked our teams for round one. So you and I, are, are, well, probably me more so than you, are, are big believers in that we're not in a position. Uh, and actually, you covered this in your depth chart, didn't you? That that we probably only have, you know, 10 to 12 players who are a lock in our 22. So, so we took this as an exercise of picking a team for round one rather than a best 22. And and I think both of us in the end had Zach Merritt um, selected to play at half forward, rotating through the midfield, of course. But, you know, Zach, as our new captain, as our most dangerous midfielder, especially by foot, I expect Sam Mitchell will probably be looking to send Finn McGuinness to him to tag him and, and try and take him out of the game. McGuinness has only played 19 games, but that tagging role is one that the Hawks have used him in previously. Uh, it's something that they did in the two practice games they played. You know, Dacos got into the midfield um, on against the Pies the weekend before last, and, and McGuinness went to him. So I think we've now got some additional midfield depth through the team. Um, you know, Shields there, Setterfield's there, Parrish is there, Caldwell's there, Perkins and Martin went into the midfield uh, during the practice game. So there's six guys there that can rotate through the middle if need be, and that's without Zach Merritt. We've seen Zach Merritt go forward against the Swans last year and kick three. We know he has the forward craft to be dangerous around goals, and we we know he can apply pressure and tackle. But beyond that, you know, we've spoken at length about Hawthorne's style of play and their want to create loose in the back half and intercept. What it does is it puts someone in the way of that. McGuinness isn't a great kick. He doesn't have that high explosive speed that some of their halfbacks have. So what it does do is it forces the Hawthorne coaches box to then make a decision. Okay, are we going to accept having McGuinness play at halfback, which then means they need to move one of their defenders out of their back line and find another role for them? Or are they going to take McGuinness off Zach Merritt, which then creates an opportunity for Zach Merritt to get even more dangerous? So it's it's a jewel for me. It, it, it puts a, a, a quality player like Zach Merritt into a role where we know he can have an impact but it also gets in the way of the way that Hawthorne want to play and it forces Hawthorne to have a real think about the way they want to go through things. So I'm starting Zach at half forward and then aiming to drag McGuinness there. But if he then goes to Parrish or he goes to Shield, I'd be looking to get them to do the same thing and just try and get McGuinness into a part of the ground that they, that the Hawks don't really want him in. 
Yeah, well, in that situation, we know the parish has some pretty good forward forward craft and could be dangerous there. And from all reports, Sheila's been doing a lot more practice in the forward line, hopefully to become more dangerous in, in that situation as well. So, spend a lot of time on Essendon's forward 50. What about the other end of the ground? What sort of things should we be looking at there? Yeah, I, I really think what we saw in our two practice games, and we spoke a lot about it in the two game reviews, is there's now a lot more focus on team structure and team defense rather than one-on-one, which was really how we were left to defend last year. So I don't think there's too many individual matchups we need to to really look at in our back half of the ground um, going into round one. I, I think, you know, Hawthorne without Gunston there, obviously uh, they still have some really dangerous forwards. Uh, Luke Bruce is, is obviously still a very, very good player. Um, I think it's probably natural that Kelly gets that type of matchup. But a lot more of this is going to be about how we defend the ground, that forward pressure, creating forward half turnovers and, and intercepts ourselves. And, and they're the bits that I'm, I'm really going to look up or, or look for and see how we improve in that part of the game. But I guess the one matchup I think we need to be mindful of is Dylan Moore. He he kicked 26 goals last year playing a combination of midfield and, and forward. Uh, you mentioned their win against the Cats, which was a bit of a shock really uh, last year on Easter Monday. Uh, he kicked four goals in that game and, and he played good footy before that, but I think it was his stamp on 2023 where he probably elevated himself to that next level. Uh, one that we won't want to remember, but he did kick three goals in that third quarter against us in round one, 2021, and, and really launched that that comeback. So, um, uh, yeah, he, he he had a big say in how that game played out. He's only 176 centimetres, but he, he sort of plays a bit taller than that. He's a lot more dynamic than that. So I, I think what we just need to be mindful of is he's got some of that stringer ability to cause chaos and confusion when he moves from midfield to forward and vice versa, vice versa. So I think we just need to be mindful of, of that switch over and get it right, have nominated players who are going to take him in either parts of the ground. So I think for me, you know, Caldwell when he's running through the midfield makes sense and then McGrath when he's forward makes sense and those two just need to be alert and, and get that handover right. He's he's a big barometer for them. He gets his teammates going. He'll get their crowd going. So, yeah, he he's the one that I think we just have to be most wary of getting right. Absolutely right. And as always, we'll be keeping an eye on what we thought going into the game and it's something we'll reflect on when we look back at the Hawthorne game this time next week. Well, we'll move on to our final major segment, which is our final thoughts. And we always end up with a finish this thought. I always spend all week thinking about it and struggling to come up with something good. Uh, so we can just start with something basic this season. Uh, Jono, finish this thought. I'm looking forward to... Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the crowd roar every time Alwyn Davey gets near the ball in that anticipation that he's going to do something. And then, of course, the reaction when he kicks the first goal. Hopefully, we see it early in the game. But I think, yeah, he he's going to light up the MCG and just get us all really excited to be back at the footy. So that's the one for me, mate. What about you? We spent a lot of time talking about this player, but I'm really looking forward to seeing how Zach Merritt goes as full-time leader. I want to see what sort of stamp he wants to put on the side and there's no better place to do so than on a Sunday afternoon at the MCG. Yeah, well said, mate. That's it. So look, I think that'll wrap us up for the show. As you sort of hinted at, there is a new video coming out uh, tomorrow morning, analysing Hawthorne's game style from the practice match on Patreon. Uh, that'll be available at the analyst level and above. Uh, I've watched it already, and it's a fantastic breakdown of not only what they do well, 
but how it can also be exploited. And I think you've also talked about putting together a shorter one that's going to be available to everyone that'll that'll come out quite shortly. Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier just a couple of examples of where Aaron Francis did a really good job in that game last year. So I thought, uh, yeah, we might try and bring that to life a little bit with some with a couple of video clips that I'll I'll make available shortly for everybody. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. Uh, other than that, any final words from you, Johnny? No, just looking forward to getting to the G on Sunday, mate, and, and hopefully seeing us get a win on the board. Absolutely. 3.20 at the MCG on Sunday. Uh, I'll be there and I'm looking forward to seeing the Dons run out there for the first time in 2023. Uh, looking forward to seeing all the Essendon fans there and go Dons. Set about five points the difference. Can the Bombers go on with it? Byrne tries to come out of the pack. It's Williams setting the Bombers back into attack. Up it goes there. Baker taps the ball on. Oh, beautiful play. Goes for a goal. And I think they've hit the front. Yes, they're in front. A point in front. That's four goals for Baker. Four goals in eight minutes. Ten goals, 8.68 Hawthorne to Western, 9.15.69. What a game this is. What a wonderful comeback as we see it again on replay. The fourth goal to Leon Baker. Beautiful blind turn and straightens up and no mistake about that one. 